1987, U2 had been putting out solid, well-respected records for almost a decade. With a blend of post-punk edge and bonafide musical chops, see what I did there? They had upped the game of 80s rock, but they hadn't yet put out the album that would catapult them to the commercial stratosphere. That all changed with The Joshua Tree. An epic rumination on the promise and disappointment of America with almost spiritual ambitions, this record looked back to Roots music to find the real America in real American music. This wasn't your Big Brother's Motley Crue album. With two number one hits, Joshua Tree made U2 the respected and wealthy stadium band they've remained for the last four decades. It doesn't take much to get us to drink Irish whiskey, so we thought we'd take the excuse to sip on Powers and Jameson while discussing U2's greatest album. It's time for episode 84 of Toasting the Classics, The Joshua Tree. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, podcast where we take something that people call a classic and we talk about it while we drink something inspired by the classic. My name is Dave MacArthur. And my name is Clint Lanier, Dr. Clint Lanier, Professor Clinton Lanier. Professor, right, professor, tenure track professor, doctor. <laughs> Legitimately a professor. We are back again. What are we what are we doing this week? So this is your pick. We are doing U2's Joshua Tree, which I thought was a really inspired pick. I think we got a little tipsy at the end of the Dr. No podcast. And you said, okay, you're, you're going to do two things. And I just rattled off two things. And I, I I thought about it the next day. I was like, well, those are pretty good picks. Where'd I, yeah. that, that's not bad. Like, okay. I think, I think that was a good one. So, yeah. so what is your, I guess experience is a bad word, but what's your, your background with Joshua Tree? When this came out, you would have been in elementary school, I think. Right? Yeah, I was 10. Right? I would have been. Okay. I, it came, well, it came out in May of 87. So actually I was in fourth grade when this, when this album Holy came. cow. Were you so, aware of it? So I knew the big songs i mean with or without you and still haven't found what what i'm looking for those are number one hits those are all over the radio so i i knew those songs i was not an album purchasing person at the time i think i got slippery when wet right about this time and that was the first album i ever bought <laughs> that's about uh, right yeah. but i always loved the songs at the beginning of this album and when i became a cd buying person was right around the time when octung baby came out and I think not long after that, I went and got Joshua Tree, too, because I was like, oh, that's a great album. I got to have that. So as long as I've had CDs, I think, you know, I think this has been in my rotation. It's some, something that I like. And uh, yeah, it's just been around that with or without you is my go to karaoke song. So <laughs> I do that one a lot. I can't do the other two. I've tried them and they, they don't come out very well. I don't know if I could do that. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I could do that's that a, part. No, the, the hard part is the the falsetto. That he yeah. does in several of these songs. That's that's the really sure. tough part. I'm I'm not going to inflict that on the listener. Yeah, I'd have to do the whole thing. I'd have to swing around the guitar around my head. And, and, I don't and, remember and the wear, video. A, wear a vest with no shirt on. You know, with my arms. Shirt on. Apparently, he had arms. a really bad mullet at that time period. <laughs> but, <laughs> he, had a, he definitely had a ponytail. And he had. I know, remember. He had I remember guns the... out, guns out thing going on. Yeah, it's a weird look <laughs> for, for yeah. this particular character. I I remember the Octung Baby videos, but I do not remember the Joshua Tree ones. I I must not have been watching a lot of. I did watch MTV when I was a little kid, but not mm -hmm. the way I did when I was in high school. You didn't go back school, and watch them for this video. I actually ended up watching some um, some interviews on YouTube. Oh, okay. I looked at right. Joshua Tree and I was thinking about just watching the videos but then i was thinking oh well there's actually like a half hour 45 minute interview of them mm -hmm. talking about the album on the 30th and 30th anniversary and mm -hmm. i thought that was i got sucked into watching that and uh mm -hmm. didn't get around to watching i did watch the beginning of i still haven't found what i'm looking for mm -hmm. and it definitely it's very pretentious looking you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't put together a video people are so much more winky today about yeah. everything you just could not 
sincerely stand there and look all like morose while while singing those lyrics the way that you could. <laughs> and get was that the one where they're they're walking along like uh, the strip in Vegas? Uh, still, I didn't watch town. the whole video, so <laughs> I oh, okay. don't know the whole. I saw that yeah. he's walking an alley. It's Bono in front of the camera, and he's walking down an alley, and that's 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 what I think. I, I think that's the one. Like, like they're all on, on the Vegas Strip, and people are looking at him, and 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 so he's and you know that like when they're actually doing the video, obviously they're not singing. So these people are watching this guy, this madman walking down the street, right. mouthing these words. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully somebody's actually playing the video, like the music behind him, so he knows what right. he's supposed to be mouthing. You know, but imagine like, you're just standing because everybody's just sort of w watching them do this, and they're all kind of like, uh, what? maybe they actually, maybe he actually sang. I mean, it'd be hard to, it'd be hard to look like you were singing, especially because he's such a powerful singer. But he'd have to time it with the actual track, yeah. you know, that that they're yeah. listening to. Yeah. I think that'd be difficult. So, yeah, um, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna look at him, make sure. Um, was he lip syncing in the in those videos? Or? Well, I just want to make sure that I'm thinking about the right one. But, um, oh yeah, it, it looks that way. He's in an alley at the beginning of the video, and then he, I, I, for all I know, he might walk out onto the street. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But I think it's, it might be Fremont. Oh, it was Las Vegas. Okay, yeah, it's Las Vegas. Okay, yeah, that's old Las Vegas. But yeah, um, I was gonna say it looks more like uh old downtown Las Vegas than the Strip. Like, in or I was gonna say like a current Reno. <laughs> and then you have uh, With or Without You. So that's just them kind of in this dark stage. Like the last quarter of the song is him going, oh. But he starts right. like like swinging his his guitar over his head, like it's an yeah. axe or something, which I thought was really weird. And I'm like, what are you going to do with it? You know, it never shows. Like, does he throw it, or does he hit something with it? Does he do a full Pete Townsend and and start smashing up the drums Smash with the guitar yeah. or something? Um, well, I find so one of my favorite things about these songs and this album in general mm -hmm. is it's very genuine and like heartfelt. Mm -hmm. The way the guy's singing, like he really seems to be like you kind of get a sense of it. And I was playing some of the songs on the guitar, just kind of listening to the album. And I was like, no, these are, you You get into these. These these mm -hmm. have a real, geez, I mean, they're white, so you don't want to say soul quality, but it's kind of what's <laughs> going on there, you know? I mean, they're, Irish, they're Irish. Irish soul. Irish you know, soul, Irish soul is kind of a thing, right? I mean, uh -huh. Van Morrison and the commitments and stuff like that's that's kind of a thing. So I think it's fair to say that that's what's going on. Yeah, getting into it and smashing a guitar, but not really smashing it. It's, they're not violent. It's not that kind of passion. So what's your what's your relationship to the album? Was this something you were into at the time? Or Let's see. So 87, I would have been. When did it come out in 87? What, what, like when in 87 did it come out? Um, I think May, if I remember right. It's either okay. May or March. March. Maybe, so March of March. 87. So I was just at about 13 when this came out. I just turned 13. I was about okay. to turn 13 when this came out. That would have had me in like the sixth or seventh grade. Something yeah. like that. I was definitely in middle school or junior high at the time. And you're right. It was everywhere. I, I loved it because it made the top 10. And at the time, I remember like there being a lot of R&B stuff, which I was never, I've never been into that. Hearing this uh, on the top 10, you know, getting a lot of rotation on the radio stations, uh, still in Found One Looking For, With or Without You, and, and so forth. Where the Streets Have No Name, that was, that was the other one big one that was always in rotation they actually came here on tour on their oh, their nice. joshua tree tour which you know we're in the middle of nowhere but we used to get some really big acts and i remember specifically because yeah. i remember this one kid jason i can't remember jason's last name but he was like the really rich kid in school he did all the rich kid stuff what i mean by that is if you've ever seen 16 candles or any of those movies the rich kids like always the, did uh... Andrew McCarthy character in the yeah, Andrew McCarthy, right? Yeah, pretty pink. Right. But yeah, so I'm like, what thirteen year old you know plays tennis and does all this other stuff? So anyway, he's just he's he's kind of the rich kid. 
he shows up with Joshua Tree concert shirt. Oh, that's awesome! One day, and I'm like, oh, that jerk! <laughs> you know? Yeah, not only is he rich and playing tennis and doing all these things that cool. I can never do, but he went to see the Joshua Tree. So this is a thought that I wrote down about this, and maybe this isn't the right place to talk about it, but it reminds me of it. Is that I think so? I was talking about like kind of the emotions that this kind of music would elicit, and I can't even imagine seeing you two live. The uh-huh. kind of emotions that would trigger for me. That would be yeah. like a big thing for me. And I was thinking back in the 70s and 80s, and maybe a little bit still into the 90s, I think that rock shows and this kind of music filled almost like the sort of role that people used to have for religion back in the day. Hmm. You go and you're in a big group with a bunch of people and everybody's singing along. Everybody's very, like your emotions are high and stuff like that. Like for people who don't have religion, this would be like the only time. Like I don't go to church. I've never gone yeah. to church. This would be talking about like a like a revival, like a revival type of thing, right? You know, not an Anglican service, you know, but like something something where everybody's enjoying themselves, like like a Billy Billy Graham, you know, a bunch of people singing and everybody kind of experiencing it. I was thinking there there's nothing like that for kids today. They don't go to shows and and get into the concert and stuff like that's that's just not a thing. Like they they hardly leave their houses. So I'm like, yeah, I wonder what is there anything for people growing up today? And then I was thinking. It's probably not one of the many reasons why they're all on antidepressants. You know, it's just have nothing <laughs> maybe, to go and share with maybe. other people. No communal yeah, no, experience whatsoever. No social, no social mechanisms. You know, and and I don't know. Maybe I thought it was funny. Like Ainsley, there was this like YouTube uh, convention or something, and she wanted to go and see all her favorite YouTubers. And I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm not supporting that. But then I started yeah. thinking about it, and like they don't have TV. You know, they don't yeah. have those they don't have all the stuff that we had like these are their superstars yeah. like these are these are the people they know they know youtubers right. and they know tiktokers uh-huh. and, and instagram influencers and all this, uh, these other idiots you know it's just something we can't imagine but we had television right you know three three or four channels when i was right. a kid and then cable when i got into college television was a solo thing but like music going to music shows and going to films were communal experiences. Yeah. Like where you'd go and you'd share them with a couple hundred other yeah. people at the very least. And that that's I think kind of important. I think I think people need that. I think yeah. we're social animals. I don't I don't know if it's great to sit in your room all the time. Yeah. And that's the only way you ingest media. This record dropped, I think at the height of that. When did disintegration from the cure come out? That was like 86 or 87. 89. That's 89. 89. Okay. So two years after yeah. this. The sound and the tones and the themes you know they're not they're not that far apart. Um, there's a lot of no. similarities, I think, especially past track four. Yeah, right. You yes. get to track yeah, four on sure. this album. They sort of go downhill as the album goes on in terms of songness. Yeah. Until the final, the last two tracks are are like a are like the Cure album. They're they're atmospheric. They're sort of just there's strange noises going on. They're not bad. They're a good part yeah. of the album, but it's it's just not the same thing. The first three tracks of this album. I would, I I haven't really researched this, but I would defy somebody to come up with a better one, two, three punch on any album ever. Yeah. Like in terms of just bang, bang, bang. Those are three songs. Like, forget about it. Like you'd go to a U2 show today in 2023. If those were the only three songs they ever wrote, you'd be like, I got to go see that band that made those songs. Right. And everything else would just be icing on the cake. Oh, by the way, there's Sunday, Bloody Bloody Sunday and Pride, a whole bunch of other stuff, too. But I I can't think of any album like that that has that kind of opening. You know, this and we'll just throw it out there that this is 
supposedly like one of the top best albums of all time, according to Rolling Stone. Stone, yeah, I can't remember whether it was twenty second was U two themselves or whether it was twenty second of all time was this album one of the five hundred greatest. I want to say it was U two. The band was the twenty second most influential band, according right, to Rolling they, Stone. I can't remember. But the, uh, the top 100 albums of all time, I can't. This was this was way the album up there. Comes in. I don't yeah, think yeah. it's as high as you, which might be sort of the kiss of death critically. The Guardian has it at number 57 of top 100. The Rolling Stone named it number 26 in the, on their 2003 list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Okay, that's pretty high. That's uh, so high. it's yeah, it's it's way up there. I mean, it just came at a time when. I don't think there's a lot coming out. Let me let me just see. Well, we talked about this before when we Albums. talked about disintegration because it's it's before the big wave of alternative. Uh huh. It's the, it's the same year Appetite for Destruction came out, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's also '87. No, that was '87. Appetite yeah. for Destruction. Oh, it was it was '87. Okay. Boy, it, there was a lot. There was a lot of good stuff that came out in '87. Okay, go on. Yeah, yeah. Give we've me got, give me a couple of good examples. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got Joshua Tree from U2. Obviously, you've got. Right. Uh, bad, bad from Michael Jackson. Okay, I think um, we can lose that. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, Appetite for Destruction, as you mentioned. Yeah. But then, I mean, for those that are into them, you got Document by REM, Strange Ways, Here We Come by The Smiths. You've got a new album from The Pet Shop Boys. You've got Depeche Mode. But then you've got like stuff like the stuff that would have played down here, like Whitney Houston. I think her first album. I was gonna say Whitney Houston was huge at the time. Yeah, and Whitney Houston is great. She's she's awesome, but that's not my kind. Of, it's not. I'm not gonna sit and listen to Whitney right. Houston on yeah. record over. Me, she's me, she's awesome, and I do actually like her, but that's just not what I'm gonna be listening to. Right, but that's what would have been all over the radio here at the time. Yeah, it was it was um, in it was in DC as well. well with Whitney oh. Houston all over the place. In excess, uh, kick. Mm -hmm. That album came out. Yeah, kick is a real kick is actually uh, one of my favorite albums. I really like that one. Oh, kiss but, me, kiss me, kiss me came out that year. Hysteria right. from Def Leppard. Yeah, eighty-seven. Uh, I don't know if that one holds up to the test. Hey, what has seven arms and sucks? What? Def Leppard. <laughs> That's a good one. Girls, yeah. girls, girls from Motley Crue. That's that the kind that, of music I remember from was, the time. There was there was something about the American rock music at the time where the image was off-putting uh -huh. to me. I really liked Appetite for Destruction, but that hair band thing was just off-putting to me. Yeah, I didn't yeah. I, was, I wasn't into that. I think I might have just been a couple years too young for it. Like it was really cool. And then by the time I was getting bigger, that's what everybody's big brother looked like. Yeah. It just didn't seem cool to me. I mean, this is just sort of different from everything out there because you got a lot of hair bands that came out. You had a, a lot of R and B, LL Cool J came out. If it was coming from the other side of the pond, it was mostly right. synth pop stuff like Depeche Mode and Pet Shop. Like Boys. Depeche Mode, huge Pet Shop Boys. Of course, where do you put the Smiths? I mean, they're they're kind of a post. Well, band I don't know. If strange Ways. Strange Ways is not really um, vintage Smiths to me. It's a little bit mm. after their best. Mm. I like that album in a different kind of way. It's more like mm. Morrissey. Mm -hmm. So it's. I don't know what that really kind of compares to. You two actually talked about being inspired by Johnny Marr's guitar playing. The Edge was huh. like, I love the way that guy plays guitar, and that's yeah. that's big on Joshua Tree. He's definitely yeah. doing some of that, some of that jangly like um, effects laden guitar yeah. work that Johnny yeah. Marr does. Um, and it, there isn't a lot of Johnny Marr, I don't think, on Strange Ways as much. Yeah. So I think it's kind of or not not Maybe. to my, but um, I think the. Um, I just uh, I just remember that there's a lot of like the. Like the Whitney Houston and the synth pop stuff, and oh, yeah. a lot of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of that R and B junk came out, and I was never into really any of that stuff at all. Um, you know, I like some Depeche Mode, but I'm not really into all of their stuff. They get they get a bit. Oh, also George Michael's Faith came out 
which was huge and yes. all over the I place. I did like George Michael quite a bit. Uh, I'm like sure you did. Hey. Yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, and, I, see. <laughs> I see where you're going with that. Uh, what? Did, did, you watch, what? did you watch the Wham documentary, by the way? It was very no, entertaining. I, I haven't, I've, I've heard things about it, but I. By the way, what are we drinking? Oh, what are we drinking? Well, I'm drinking something called Powers Irish Whiskey. What are you drinking? I am drinking something called Jameson Irish Whiskey. Jameson Irish Whiskey. I had a moment of feeling mm-hmm. kind of bad about picking Irish Whiskey because I was looking into YouTube's history and they were kind of, I don't know if they were ever teetotalers, but they were pretty religious early yeah. on. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, I think still. You know, normally for Irish people, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't drink. You might right. be religious drink anyway. And I, I was watching this video, this uh, interview with them, and they've got a bottle of whiskey in front of them and the edges. Yeah. He's in his 60s and he's still drinking. So I think we're okay. I think we're on solid grounds with some Irish whiskey, which is no longer. I don't know about Powers, but Jameson is actually not distilled in Dublin anymore. So right. not their stomping grounds, technically. Right. They're from Dublin, whereas this is from County Cork down south. But yeah, Jameson and Powers are the two biggest. Irish whiskey is tough um, because there were, up until like World War One and Prohibition, there were hundreds of Irish whiskey distilleries and, you know, just let's just call them whiskey distilleries in Ireland. Uh-huh. Then they all pretty much got shut down just because people's tastes moved on and well, taxes also, and a bunch of other issues. But there was a war. Yeah. The war shut a lot of them down was, too, but they, they specifically said that Jameson was disrupted badly. And I'm sure some of the smaller distillers were disrupted even worse uh, between 1919 and 1921, right after right. World War I. And then there's a temperance movement about the same time. And, well, I think and, I think prohibition, our prohibition, I think right. affected it quite a bit. So it got reduced to like there were only like six or seven distilleries, I think, uh, as uh-huh. late as about ten years ago. And Jameson. Oh wow, I didn't um, realize it was Jameson that Powers were were two of the the two biggest. And so pretty much any Irish whiskey label that you'd find was either made by Jameson or Powers. Now, however, there are all these independent distilleries all over Ireland and, and just kind of mm-hmm. like in, in America where we have this kind of artisanal resurgence of bourbon, uh, it's sort of like that over there. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of places kind of going back to the legacy. But Irish whiskey is is sort of special because I think it's the earliest example of whiskey. Well, around it's around it's a Gaelic word, but then again, that could be from either Scotland or Ireland, I suppose. Um, right. Yeah. And, and it means water of life. But. I think the oldest evidence suggests it was from about the 13th century. Uh, scotch is about from the, the 15th, 16th century. Um, well, that doesn't go back anywhere near as far. I guess probably they didn't have distillation technology in a place like Ireland going much farther back than that. Distillation derives uh, from the Middle East. And we think that, that monks brought the technology back from the Middle East, from the Crusades and so forth. In the Middle East, they weren't distilling really alcohol. They were distilling like perfumes. Uh, because they were they were distilling like plant essences. If your wife or you know know anybody that uses those essential oils, they were mm-hmm. kind of making those things. Um, but they were making perfumes, like perfume is alcohol based, right? And so they're making perfumes and things like that. And uh, they started essentially distilling beer when they brought it back to Ireland and and eventually England and Scotland. So you just you take some beer, you don't hop it, and you distill it instead. You distill mm-hmm. the fermented beer, and you get whiskey, and that's. I have always wondered what the main differences are between Irish and Scotch, Irish and Scottish whiskey. What I what I found is that it's distilling it three times. Now I know Jameson does that. Is is that yeah. universal in Irish whiskey, or is that is that an Irish well, whiskey thing, or is that just they, Jameson? They say that, but I think I, I think a lot of them are pretty much column still 
now anymore, but excuse me, the real main difference between Scotch and Irish whiskey, Scotch whiskey is only made with malted barley, 100% malted barley. Irish whiskey can made can be made with a combination of cereal grains. Right. So rye and barley and, and other things. They typically use barley, barley, but so but, but also not just different grains, but they also can use malted and unmalted. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because they said yeah. that that was something I read also. I, I, I didn't know that uh, yeah. before. And they fuel so. they fuel the distillation process with coal and like other things. They don't use peat to fuel the process. Apparently Scottish Scotch whiskey usually use peat not only as part of the drink, but you fuel the distill. Huh. That way, well, that would, that would sort of make sense. That peat was always used. I mean, the the fueling part can be really anything because it doesn't affect the taste. But you wouldn't um, think so, right? I mean, there'd be some smoke, maybe. But well, that that where your that wouldn't comes that from. that wouldn't matter once it's in the still. What where it matters yeah. is yeah. so that they when they roast the barley, when they malt uh-huh. it, because what happens the way you do the barley is you pick the barley, and then you get the barley wet. And so it starts sprouting, and that's when the sugar content of the barley is, right. is increased, right? Well, then they have to yeah. kill it. They have to kill it so it doesn't grow into plants. The way they kill it is they roast it, right, to okay. stop the to stop the growing. The way they roasted it in Scotland is through peat. They would do peat uh, okay. fires to roast it and to stop it. But that then that would that would smoke it essentially. That gives it flavor. I think I might have gotten that wrong. I think that might be what it was. I think maybe they do the the the, the roasting process is what they use. The fuel, yeah, for. yeah. I think yeah. it's the fuel for the roasting. Yeah, probably. Process. I think probably. I misread that because I, yeah. I don't know as much about the chemistry and the and the industrial processes as you do. But yeah, that's. I think I think that might be that would definitely change what it. Tastes oh God, like. yeah, yeah. That'll totally yeah. taste. This doesn't taste peaty at all, and I don't think it's just the triple distilling. I think it just is different. I think it's, it's just a smooth. Different. You know, Irish whiskey. All Irish whiskey is going to be a really smooth. Really easy to drink, or whiskey rather. Scot- Scotch whiskey, especially the really peaty stuff, it, it can be like licking an ashtray. It really can. And, and uh, so sometimes yeah. that's not what you're looking for to do after a hard day's work. I got to admit, tastes great with a cigar on, on a cold evening in front of a fireplace. There's nothing better than really peaty uh, glass of scotch and, and a cigar. So I've, I've moved away from my scotch phase. I, I don't dislike scotch, but I'm not as into it. I think if I was going to choose something, to be honest, I've learned that living in New York, you don't want to drink hard stuff. The bars don't close. You do not want to go out at 8 o'clock p.m. <laughs> yeah. and stay out till 4 drinking hard stuff. Right, right, I have learned right. to just have a seltzer or a light beer because it's going to be a long. It's a marathon, not a sprint in this town. That's so, true. Um, I haven't true. been drinking as much hard stuff as I once did. But if I were going to choose, it would be bourbon. I I, I, I yeah. really do kind of prefer bourbon. But I, I like the scotch. And I like I, I, Jameson's a perfectly good whiskey. I haven't had Powers. I'm going to try it. I think the next time I'm out, I got to... Way too big bottle of Jameson. The only thing he had for sale was the um, what size is this? This it's big. It's like a liter bottle. Oh, it's a handle. Is it a handle? Yeah, it's a liter. It's a liter. Although it's spelled L I T R E, so for all I know, that's not the same liter we have in America. I was drinking liters of beer about four weeks ago. I think it was. So uh, nice. Did you get to go anywhere good over the summer? Yeah, we went to uh, went to Denmark, uh, Germany. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's yeah. Wow, that's. That's that's pretty um, ambitious. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was fun. That was a good nice. good two and a half weeks. Of, we were uh, we stayed there. domestic. We did we did a bunch of cool stuff in America, but we did mm-hmm. never left the country. So we did uh, California uh, national parks, and then we went up to Maine last last week. We camped up in Maine, so it was pretty. Oh, cool! cool. 
Well, you guys well, are anyway, always traveling. I know the kids do do a lot of stuff. So we should get back to the Joshua Tree. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised that the album is called the Joshua Tree. The Joshua Tree. Tree. I always yeah. called it just Joshua Tree because when I put it into Wikipedia, it was like redirected from Joshua Tree. I'm like, dude. I think you know what <laughs> right, right. Just well, I was, I was, right I was, I was sort of surprised to find out that that name didn't occur to him until the end when they're creating the album cover. They they didn't know what it was until they were trying to take photographs and the photographer for, uh, photographer for the album was wanting to do the, like this desert landscape. And he, and he had this idea. He's like, let's go down to Joshua tree. And they're like, what's that? And so they talked about it and they found out what the Joshua tree was. And they said, Hey, that sounds pretty cool. A little bit of significance for their religious kind of background. Yeah. And that's how it got. And I was like, wow, just kind of yeah, spur I, of the moment, you know, I looked into it and I can't really find a whole lot of connection between the tree itself and the album, except mm -hmm. it's the idea of the mythical open spaces of America. Okay, fine. Joshua tree. That kind of makes sense. And you, like you said, the religious resonance, apparently there's not much of an agreement why the tree is called that. Right. They think sort of the Mormons called it that when they got out there. Right. But other than that, there's really no firm explanation yeah. about right. why or what, what story about Joshua. There's a story where Joshua holds his arms up for a really long time. And I, it almost sounds like a retcon where somebody was like, well, that would, that's what a Joshua tree looks like. So that's not, doesn't make it. Maybe it's, what did he have? He had a Technicolor dream coat. Uh, went to Egypt. <laughs> right. um, I don't really know much. No, that's Joseph. Yeah. What am I? That's that was Joseph. Right yeah. Cool character. Yeah. That's Joshua was a different guy. Joshua was a different guy. Forget it. Did he knock down walls with a trumpet? Is that Joshua? Um, was, no? That was a, Jer that was a Jericho. I was at Jericho, but was it yeah. Joshua? I don't know. Who knows? You're asking, you're asking the wrong guy about Old Testament stuff. About um, Bible stuff? I would have thought you would be old, Bible old, down. old Testament stuff. Old right? Testament. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. You definitely don't want to ask me about the New Testament. I once knew a lot about that. <laughs> right. Anyway, but I thought that was interesting to just kind of spur of the moment. Hey, let's call it that. I drove you know, through there one time, and if I had an, if I had known that the Joshua tree was there, the one from the album cover. I definitely would have gone out of my way to see it. I drove yeah. I drove west of Joshua Tree National Park one time and up to Mount Whitney, which I would have mm -hmm. gone right past it. And I totally would have stopped and checked it out. Apparently yeah. it fell down. It's dead. Oh. It died uh, not that long ago. It's just dead, but it's still there. The tree's still there laying down on the ground, but oh. they're yuccas. Yeah, just you know a yucca. Yeah, just a yucca with same. a bunch it's, of it's, it's it's different. It's the same, but it's the same uh genus. Yes. Best selling album they've had, I think. Actually, was this? I think it's was the biggest. Was this bigger than Octum Baby? I think so. And this is where they really took off into being the huge touring band yeah. that they became. And I really, I think that's mostly what their legacy is today. I actually looked it up. I was thinking, geez, could I? Is there any way I could see you too? And apparently, they're doing a residency in Las Vegas now. Wow. Huh. I was like, that is so not the U two. Yeah, it's not like setting up a residency in Las Vegas is very. Um, oh, you know what? I heard that. Like, it's, there's a place in Vegas called the Sphere, I think it is, and I think they're okay. doing it there. And they're doing sort of their remember their Zoo TV thing that was all crazy and psychedelic with all the lights and stuff like that. Is that um, the one where he had like three different characters, sort of Garth yeah. Brooks style? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I think so. But they're all sort sort of over the top. I think that's where it's happening. Yeah, live at the Sphere. So it's the Sphere at the uh, Venetian Resort, previously referred to as MSG Sphere, the Spherical Music and Entertainment Arena in Paradise, Paradise, Nevada. Huh? Near the Las Vegas Strip, east of the Venetian Resort, some yeah. some suburb of Vegas, basically, or yeah, basically. So, U two, 
Las oh, Vegas. Oh, I know where, I know exactly where that is. It, you're talking about that area just off the strip behind where the Venetian is. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of like empty lots. So they must have just built that. Right. It's where that new Ferris wheel thing is. Have you seen the yes. Ferris wheel? Yes. Yeah. yeah I've been on over that. there. Yeah. One car on there where it's basically drink and drown for the, <laughs> the time that what it goes. That it takes, it takes drink as much as you want open bar. So it's, Oh wow. It's more expensive to be in that car than the other cars. But I imagine so for 30 minutes that it goes around the 30 minutes, whatever it is, uh, it's just open bar. So they have a bartender that you can have, have a good time. But yeah, I know. I, yeah, you're right. It's just on the other side of that. So you two Octum baby live at, at the sphere. Yeah. Well, I would definitely go to see them if I was going to be there. It seems kind of antithetical to the, to the message of you two. Bono always struck me as having not quite the politics of some of the punk rock bands of the eighties, if you know what I mean. But mm-hmm. similar, like very, he was always talking about American involvement in Latin America and stuff yeah. like that. But it's really cool how, and I think this album is representative of it. It's very cool how it was always like, we really do love this idea you guys have over here. Yeah. This this, this idea of America. Yeah. Uh, we're just very critical about what's actually going on and your your political involvements. And, it was, and I was listening to them talk about it on the interview I watched. And I was thinking, oh, that's pretty much how I feel. You know, except that I am American, so I have an, an added element of like, this is my country. I just love my country because it's where I'm from. The same way you like Ireland and the guy that was interviewing them, he's from New Zealand. Like, it's just your country, whatever. Everybody loves their own country to some extent, right? Right. But there's also that element of, and I don't know how you feel about this, but there's that, you know, mythical ideal that we all aspire to and something that seems really awesome and it really everybody really does believe in it in america we're always trying to get back to it in some way no matter what side of the spectrum you're from of the political spectrum you're trying to get back to the ideals of the founding documents and things like that but then there's always all this you know like they had this whole story they were telling about going to phoenix arizona and they were participating in the campaign to get mlk day officially on the school roster in arizona Mm -hmm. there was a lot of uh, resistance to it and even like death threats against them, like to the point where the security guards were like, do not sing the song Pride about MLK. We we think there's a credible th- threat. Somebody's going to shoot you during the song. Like, so don't do it. Yeah. And I was thinking that's the that's the thing that you had to be critical about as American, as an American, because that's part of that's part of what we are. Right. People, people not wanting to think about MLK and they'll shoot somebody if they talk about it. That That's part of our country. We can't really deny that. And it conflicts with those great ideals. And I guess I was just, I was listening to him. I was like, yeah, it's pretty much the same way I feel about America. I, mm. I, I Exactly. I, I, we should be critical. We should be critical of the stuff that sucks, but always remember those great ideals and try to, and he actually made the point. He said that like, he's Irish and that's a country. And I, the, the implication was, you know, he loves his country, but he was like, Ireland's not an idea. There's no idea of the perfect Ireland that like, we're always trying to get back to. And I was thinking like, yeah, that is kind of the difference. That's that's the only little bit of American exceptionalism I still believe in is like we have an ideal and an, and, a, and a, almost like a almost like a national religion, like where we're trying to get back to the ideas of the founding fathers who themselves yeah. were conflicted because they owned slaves and stuff like that. But right. it's always it's been conflicted since day one. But anyway, I thought it was a pretty cool background theme to this album to have mm-hmm. that in there, and especially from an outsider, someone from another country mm-hmm. looking at our country. And kind of echoing the same things. Well, that was actually, and I'll just go ahead and say it now, that was sort of my big surprise. I didn't realize that it was an allegory on America. But after after reading about it and reading some of the interviews, so forth they did, and, and 
really listening to the music and looking at at what they were saying in the music, I can I can see it how they were kind of exploring what America means. And I I sort of found like still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, that's been a lot of people have really kind of been critical about it in terms of trying to define what that song means. And some people have said, well, it it Bono's talking about his religion and so forth. And for me, I got that he's sort of talking about that America. You know, yeah, I like uh, that. That that I like that. That. Uh, that there is this ideal. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm looking for America, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, you know, I think what, that's actually really about. good. After I read all about it, I went back, listened to it again, and and I saw, you know, I read, I, I heard a lot of it in there. And you know, what's interesting is that a lot of, not a lot, but there are quite a few of these songs were based on, were based not on America, but something that they saw maybe as a result of America. So like. Um, you know, South America that disappeared and stuff like that. Right. Know, others that disappeared. You know, he's talking about what's going on in South America, which is a result of our foreign policy. I think a lot of what he says in those songs can be applied in America as well, uh, applied to America rather, uh, as far as the messaging goes. But like the mine shutting down, I think that was One Tree Hill or something uh, like that. Uh, Red Hill so, Mining. Oh, Red Hill Mine Town. Things like that. And, you know, you sort of saw that in the 80s, you know. Uh, the, yeah, the, definitely. The shift of I think there's a little bit of resonance with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that, right. Bruce, That's Bruce what I saw. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen's music is like roots, like is is I don't want to say rooted in, but rooted in roots music. It's mm-hmm. it's going back a little bit to the blues and the stuff where rock came from, and he's got like a working class message. Uh, it's very similar. It's like oh, this town, this town used to make cars, and now it's shut down, yeah. and everybody's poor, and Bobby drinks too much. <laughs> you too could write that song just right. as much as Bruce Springsteen. That's the same kind of song that both yep. both bands would make. And I think there's a um, the, you know, it's it's like a richer texture to something. And I, I I really do love the roots music. The roots music thing is not something I was aware of. Mm-hmm. I read about it while getting ready for the show. I didn't even really understand what that term meant. I know that. So there's been this idea for a long time that like rock and roll music, you know, most popular form of music in the late. 20th century essentially that Mm -hmm. essentially is created by african-americans which Mm -hmm. is on one sense true there's there's you know chuck berry and all those people in the early 50s 100 Mm -hmm. but the that music itself was rooted in something going farther back roots music which which led to jazz and the blues and modern country and rock and roll and just about everything in american music today and Mm -hmm. that was more of a an equal contribution from like all the kinds of Americans. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of Celtic stuff in it. It's got a lot of African stuff in it. It's got a lot of, it's, it's really like an actual, if Americans had actually been marrying each other, intermarrying and creating like an American species, mm-hmm. the mute, that music is what we would be like as right. a nation, you know, yeah. which we're not because of BS that, that kept that Tri- happening. tribalism and stuff like tribalism that, yeah. and stuff like that right worse worse than tribalism but yeah yeah what's the word apartheid yeah essentially yeah. american apartheid but anyway i think that's really cool it actually inspired me i'm going to look into roots music and start listening mm-hmm. to some of it learning about it a little bit more because the the u2 u2 and, and bruce springsteen same thing they seem richer and more interesting than some of the other stuff that was going on at the time right because of going back to those roots they seem to have deeper roots the music seems deeper than guns and roses because guns and roses that's a bit like one of the things i think about you too is you too is like a post-punk or punk band they're, they're, they started from that but they've got serious musical chops they're mm-hmm. just really good at their instrument they didn't start out that way they actually right. kind of learned 
to be that way. But like Guns N' Roses is the same way. Those are those are those guys have terrific musical chops. Yeah, they're just the music doesn't really seem as as cool to me. I guess is, mm-hmm. the, is what I'm talking about. Like there's they don't seem quite as timeless. They seem very rooted in the 80s. Whereas you could listen to you too. I don't know. Honestly, anything that's rock and roll, people actually playing their instruments. I don't think a kid today would listen to. Well, I think I think there's something. Where's the Where's the auto tune? And they just yeah wouldn't listen to it. But I'll speak to that for a minute. Then I want to talk about the band itself. But you know, I think there's something to be said about you know when you have music that has uh, that isn't just superficial, right? When there are layers to it, right? Girls, girls, girls has pretty much just yes. one just one meaning, that is a great right? example of what i'm talking about <laughs> whereas still haven't found what i'm looking for people disagree about what it means you know what right. is it, what is he talking about it could mean the politics and it could mean you know this this idea of a fictionalized or a mythical rather america or it could mean his relationship with god which some people say is what he's talking about but Clint, and, Clint, i think there's a legitimate interpretation of girls 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 that yeah. critiques the male gaze well, that's certainly true. That's yeah, yeah. certainly true. I think they're turning it around on us, you know? Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, you've got, I mean, there's a reason Elvis Costello is so, is so revered, you know, by, by people or Tom Waits or any of these people that have, they can, they can create music. And the thing is, I mean, they're not popular. You too broke through and got popular as well as interesting. Um, you know, what's really you have, interesting about you what... have like all these interesting bands that I think will outlast, you know, the bubblegum stuff. They won't get the like the 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 fame or the fortune. Like well, I don't think if if Revolver and Sgt. Pepper's hadn't happened, I don't think you would listen to the Beatles today. Even though I love I love the Beatles' early stuff; it's fun. But I would have never listened to that if it hadn't been really serious, interpretive value stuff that happened later in their career. Well, it's really interesting. It's interesting you said that about the lyrics of the songs because the interview that I watched, Bono Mm -hmm. was talking about how he never liked where the streets have no name he always felt like the song wasn't finished he didn't Mm -hmm. finish the lyrics and he didn't complete it and the interviewer says i actually think it's really interesting to leave a song incomplete because you put it out there and now it's for the listener to interpret and so you're having a conversation with the listener and bono it was like you could see the look on his face he was like oh that's exactly why that song's good it was like the first time he ever thought of it (laughs) he was like oh you're right yeah it's an incomplete the, the lyrics are it's an incomplete thought mm-hmm. and so i put it out there and i have these ideas right but then other people can resonate and bring their own meaning to it and so when he goes to the concert and sings in front of everybody and they're singing along mm-hmm. to where the streets have no name they're bringing their own meaning to it and so it's just richer and i was like let's really it was like watching the guy understand his own art <laughs> by somebody asking him a question it was really That's interesting he's very he was very thoughtful about the creation of the music and stuff mm-hmm. it was very it's not like I remember hearing an interview with Sam Smith where he said mm-hmm. that he did the, uh, the song for Spectre. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I only spent like 15 minutes on it. And I was like, yeah, hey, you, you, you can tell, dude. Like, I, wouldn't brag, <laughs> right. I wouldn't brag about that. It's, right, it sounds right. like you spent about 15, 20 minutes yeah. on that song. So anyway, yeah. put some thought into your art. Right. Like, I there, put there some is... thought into this podcast, right? I mean, you, yeah, absolutely. Tell, right? Yeah. No, there are layers to it. It's like an onion or a, cake or exactly. like I, an I onion because it... nobody really wants to eat it is that, is that what you're saying <laughs> right let's say so it's without like with it without this like album, it is like yeah it's like a cake without this album then so this album is sort of their revolver or pet sound or something that, that elevates them to another level is that right okay computer so, so or something? that brings up a really interesting thought 
because mm-hmm. their 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 revolver their pet sounds is the album before this unforgettable fire mm-hmm. because they actually their producer actually had them do some of the techniques that brian wilson used to create pet sounds mm-hmm. broken bottles and things like yes. that like right. and unforgettable fire was almost too artistic for everybody people didn't yeah. really like it that much and then they did the roots music thing with this one that was just what comes after Sergeant Pepper for the Beatles? Is there one where they go? It's kind of like I, I remember reading one time. Uh, I had a book of Billboard's top uh, number one hits, and it was just describing all the number one hits that had ever happened on Billboard. And they were talking about with or without you. And they said, this mm-hmm. is their hate you. Hmm. This is their song that like you'll always sing. You'll always know mm-hmm. this song. It's very powerful. It seems meaningful. It's not really doing anything that's never been done before it's not really like an attempt although bono yeah. was saying it's an extremely weird song and and the things they're doing in the song are not what other people are doing i don't know i feel like it's been a part of my life for f- almost 40 years so yeah i don't really know but i can't i can't analyze it as something i've never heard yeah. before but bono uh-huh the edge the edge adam adam clayton and larry Wait, is it adam clayton it is adam clayton yeah and Larry, Larry, I just feel bad for Larry. They, if there's any any name that they anybody that they should have given a cooler name to, Larry sounds yeah. like somebody with a trombone, you yeah. know. <laughs> and he's the drummer, yeah. you know. He's, he's the, drummer. the drummer of all people. He's the drummer. You know, some people say that Ringo is the luckiest drummer ever. Yeah. And yeah. and when I I listen to the Beatles, I'm like, I hear Ringo doing some stuff. Yeah, Saturday. that's true. Yeah. Larry Mullen Jr. is probably <laughs> the luckiest drummer that right. ever existed. Right? I, do you even know what are the what are the drums on this album? I, mean, I haven't gone back and analyzed the other stuff, but on this album, it's just yeah. There's not there's not a lot to it. There's not a lot of not a lot, uh, not a lot going on, right? Right. I mean, but honestly, I, I I tried to to read an analysis of how the Edge plays on this album. I couldn't yeah. follow it. I really I had no idea what the no, hell they were talking about. A lot of his technical electrical guitar stuff, delay effect is. is a big part of it, what he yeah, does. Yeah, something where he can like fill in notes with other notes. Like he can he can not play all the notes, but with right. some echo reverb thing, it's filling in the note. And I was like, What? I yeah, mean, I, no, I hear it and it sounds cool. And I hear and, it and it's very cool. There's, and but but apparently um, he's doing he's doing really complicated stuff to make it sound cool, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um He's a, a minimalist guitar player in a lot of yeah. ways. He's not right. in terms of what in terms of what he's doing. He's not. But in terms of what we hear, his theory is that guitar notes are very expensive. Right. And, right. and so you do not want to have too many of them. So he tries right. to do something really cool with each one that he does. And I, I, I think I think that comes out. And I think Bono's vocals are superior. I don't yeah. really know. There's not a whole lot else. And I mean, Axl Rose is, is a really good vocalist as mm-hmm. well. But in terms of that time period in rock and roll, I don't know if there's anybody that really compares. Um, yeah, that's what no. that's what stands out to me. That when I went back, I, I actually was listening to some of their older stuff. When I went back and listened to "Boy," the second Bono sings on the first song, you're like, "That's something special." Yeah, there's something yeah. special going on there. Like that's not just a, a four piece band. Right, there's something special going on here. And he's particularly gifted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think he really is, and I think that's. 80% of what makes you two a good band is probably yeah. his voice and yeah, the way that he hears it. Yeah. Although the Edge's guitar work is really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I guess Adam, is Adam Clayton the one that does all the other instruments? Like I know he does the bass, but does Larry Mullen do the keyboards? Because the keyboards are pretty distinctive on Joshua Tree as well. 
Actually, it's actually I think the Edge does keyboards. Yeah, Edge, oh, okay. the Edge does the keyboards. Oh, okay, and, uh, okay. And back that's vocals. Pretty, like the opening of where the streets have no name. Mm -hmm. I was actually flipping through some stuff, and I don't remember why. I ended up. Oh, I was looking at my guitar app, and I put on. It's almost like a karaoke version of the song. It's just like uh -huh. it's just the the um, the keys and the and the instruments playing. Mm -hmm. And even that, listening to the synth that opens up where the streets mm -hmm. have no name, I got the same like tingle in the back of my neck. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is just really well put together. Yeah, yeah. I went. I went to. Um, Bill Clinton appeared in my hometown, like at one of the high schools. Mm -hmm. He just came and did a speech one time. And he actually landed, it must have been 96 because he was already president. And he landed in a helicopter on the field outside and they mm -hmm. played, actually can't remember whether it was where the streets have no name or one of them, but it had the opening <laughs> with like, you know, the guitar. Yeah, like, weird. Yeah. And it was just, it was really, really impressive, like as a yeah. spectacle. I think oh, somebody cool. in his staff was just like, you too knows how to do a show. Yeah. Like they know how to yeah. open. So well, gonna, and, the, and, and the kids know who you two is. They won't know. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah know exactly. something else. So, well, then weird, weirdly enough, also Bruce Hornsby was actually there and played <laughs> a piano like in front of everybody. Like, <laughs> that's like, great, which is very strange. Which yeah, depressing, but okay. Yeah, oh, exactly. but yeah, I was just I was just looking over their names, and you got Bono, uh, his real names, Paul uh, something, Paul, Paul something, The Edge is Paul David Egg something, something like and then Adam, and then Larry, Paul oh, Larry. Houston. It's Paul Houston is Bono. Paul Houston. David, David Evans is the edge. Evans. Yeah, the edge. And I felt really sad reading about the story of the band because he his big brother was in the band to start. Dick Evans. And, he's, and he split. Yeah. And he yeah. just kind of went off to college and sort of didn't play yeah. with them as much. And so they had like a they had a show where poor Dick Evans came out and played with them. And then he like walked off the stage and everybody clapped for him. And then they were like, yeah. okay, now you get to listen to the real U2. Like, I don't know why we had <laughs> right. 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 That and poor thinking, guy. Like, He's got to still be out there, right? Like, yeah, of the course. Big brother is I, I just, like, I'm just hoping the Edge bought him a car, or yeah, a house that's what I'm or something. Like, I know? hope he at right. least hooked him up a little. Yeah, bit. I just something somehow. Like, <laughs> right, but uh, anyway, it's a talking, cool. They were talking about. They, they said Dick Evans is best known as the as the you know creator of the band blah blah blah. And I was like, yeah. I've never heard of this. Yeah, band. I've never heard of that band. Never <laughs> heard of that band talking about. But uh, I will say that I was happy to find out that Bono and The Edge were given those nicknames. They they didn't invent them themselves, and they weren't just they weren't just stage names. You know, it wasn't just something that I'm going to call myself, you know, Bono and and be the lead. Like right. Ringo Ringo called himself Ringo. That's not his oh. real name. Ring, Ringo Starr is not his real name. I can't remember. That's what a really good it. point. It just occurred to me right now when you said that that he's probably not his Christian name is probably not Ringo. That's <laughs> no, not Ringo. Ringo yeah. Starr is. That was his stage name, and he gave it yeah, to himself, right? That makes sense. But Bono was given that name, and The Edge was given that name. Apparently, they were in like some type of street gang or something like that in Dublin. Oh. And oh, and, so it predates it predates being it predates you too, yeah. Okay. So they're like That's when they're four, fourteen or fifteen. But that that also explains why uh, uh, Adam and poor Larry didn't have any nicknames. They weren't in the same. <laughs> right, they weren't in the same street gang. <laughs> if anybody yeah. could use one, though, they should have given poor Larry. Yeah. Larry, Larry name. Mullen Jr. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah. It's just a name. Adam Clayton. So. That's a, Adam Clayton Powell. There's a street next to my house called Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Huh. Boulevard. I, What's the I name of, this, of uh, the the drummer for the police? Isn't it Adam uh, something or other? Who? Um, who? Uh, the drummer for the police. Um, oh, it's Stuart, Stuart Copeland. Oh, is it Stuart Copeland? I thought it was I don't I know why I'm saying Adam. Copeland, unless I'm... 
Let's no, I think you're right. I know you're right about Copeland. Huh? Yeah, it's it's Stuart Stuart Copeland. Yeah, yeah that's the joke. Where, where I was getting Adam from. Anyway, getting towards the end of it here. Um, what was your biggest surprise? I kind of told you mine. What was your biggest surprise? So my biggest surprise. I really enjoyed learning a lot about the band itself and the sort of mythical interpretation. You know, I was a little bummed to learn that the actual Joshua Tree was dead. I think my <laughs> biggest surprise. My biggest surprise is kind of weak, but it's a surprise I always have when I come back to this album. Is that like I said, the one, two, three is the biggest one, two, three punch, I think, in rock yeah. music history. It's right. For, for me, I, I cannot think of a better start to an album. And then I forget that I actually know and love the rest of the album. Yeah. Every single song I really enjoy and can sing along with, and they're all really good. And I always forget that every time I listen to the album. I'm like, am I really gonna listen past with or without you? Okay, fine, I will. And then Bullet the Blue Sky starts up and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a great song. Like, what's the matter with me? I, I re- yeah. that's right. I love this album. Right. So that's always surprising to me because you know how often do you come back to an album from 1987? You know, once every couple of years if you really like it. Um, it's like when we listened to Nevermind again. I, I was thinking, when was the last time I actually listened to Nevermind all the way through? And it had been a long time, you know. So yeah. when you listen to it as a whole, um, which is, I don't know about anybody younger than me, but it's it's hard for me to listen to albums as a whole these days. Yeah. Even when, even when we're doing the show on an album, I get a little bit like I'm looking at my watch by track eight. You know, right. I'm like, I'm like, Ugh, I really, yeah, I know what happens on the rest of this album. Do I have to listen? To all? <laughs> right. And I try to, because I miss that. I miss that sense of listening to a whole album. It, it's there's yeah. something lost by not doing it. Right. But I'm not sure I have the I'm not sure I have the attention span for it anymore. Yeah. So I guess we've come down to the decision point. Decision right? point. That's it. I chose this. Like I said, I think if you just had the top three songs on this album, that uh, you'd go see you two today just to, just to hear them play those three songs. The rest of the album is great. Nothing else on the album really distinguishes itself in terms of a track. I don't think. But the album's huge. It won several Grammys. I think this is what made you two a really big band. They were a good band before this, but this is what made them a really big band. The only thing I think would maybe you might have a really interesting conversation about whether Octung Baby is a better album. Mm-hmm. You could probably have that, that discussion. I think Octung Baby is maybe better from start to finish, if you know what I mean. Track mm-hmm. track by track by track. I think you're more into Octung Baby all the way from one to ten mm-hmm. than this. But I think this one's richer and I think this one's stronger. I think this is their best album. And I think this is one of the best bands of our lifetime. Yeah. So that would be my argument in favor. Those are my, um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, my, you know, opening statements. I rest. It's a, a force to you, force to you, prosecutor. Well, I will, I will, uh, you know, I'll agree that I'll, I'll say, I'll take it a little further. I think this is like, if you want to say, you know, what were the eighties like you would play probably this or maybe born in the USA, you know, there's, there's a handful of albums that you would say, these are the, 80s, right. Bruce Springsteen, uh, U2. So I want to ask you this question when you huh? say that, though. I want to ask you this question. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think it's sure. I think it's an important conversation. Are these representative of the '80s, or are these the best of the '80s? I think they're. I think they are because I probably... think these sort of stand out. I think uh, Born in the USA, even more so than this, kind of stands outside the '80s to me. It's almost like I I don't transcend so. the time period. You know. I, well, I mean, I think it it's come to be that, but I mean, I think if you if you were to say, uh, what would the sound of the eighties be? Um, right. this would be in the conversation. I'm not saying it's the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you can okay. you could talk about you could talk about Michael Jackson, right? Uh thriller Definitely. or bad, maybe. Um, 
you would talk about probably Bruce Springsteen, but you'd talk, you two would be in that conversation. So this would be probably, I mean, there, I'm just saying there's probably a handful of albums uh, that you would say, this is what the eighties were. I, I don't right. think it would be, I don't think it would be George Michael's faith. You know, I don't think it would be Whitney Houston. I mean, those certainly came out in the eighties, but I think like stuff that you would hear all over the place, stuff that you would just say, man, that's, that's the eighties. Like I remember the eighties because oh. of this. Um, I think there are a few albums that, that do that. This is certainly one of them. I don't think The Cure does that. I think this one does that. You mentioned Octane Baby. Octane Baby wouldn't exist without this album because this album gave them the propulsion they needed to then change. I mean, they Octane Baby, yeah. they changed their style completely from this. They were able to kind of react with what where the time was going or maybe they evolved or maybe they matured or something. But the fact is they were able to sort of redefine you know, who U2 was. It feels like like they were growing. It's kind of like the Cure in this way that they were growing more and more mature as the albums progressed, right? And that that's what bands do. Yeah. yeah. And this this was the album where they solidified their writing, their songwriting, their playing, their sound, their techniques, and that let them do Octum Baby, which really is the tight one. Is so tight. Everything works together. Every song is just, I mean, it just every single song kicks on that yeah. album. But I think this album took them to that. I think also, like you said, I mean, you two, I remember them in Live Aid. I remember them doing all this, this stuff like that. But then suddenly they were everywhere. When Joshua Tree came out, the Joshua Tree, everywhere you looked, you were seeing you two, and they're doing all this film, uh, philanthropic stuff, all this charity yeah. work. Um, I mean, they were just everywhere. I think like Bono was like an ambassador for the for the UN for a while for Africa or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. all this stuff, right? I mean, they were just everywhere. This 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 album, and it and for those who don't remember, those who weren't there at the time, it's hard to explain how like when an album like this drops, when it just explodes overnight, like how big right. it really is. Especially in a time when we talked about this before, where content was a lot more limited back then than it is now. We had far fewer oh, channels, yeah, God, far yes. fewer artists, everything else. Yeah. And it was all curated by companies and stuff. And so the right. stuff that got through, it had to usually be pretty good. These guys were just everywhere. I mean, yeah. heavy rotation on MTV. You couldn't turn on MTV when it played music or a VH1, you know, for that matter, without seeing one of these songs every single day <laughs> for a year and a half or two years. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you. I'm 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 toasting this classic for sure. Okay. I think you uh, two right. definitely deserves it. This is easy. We need to pick some more controversial stuff. I need we need yeah. to find something that the that's other the one thing about play. letting it just pop into my head is I didn't really come up with I didn't really come up with something particularly controversial. I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who'd be like, ah, this just sucks. In fact, <laughs> right? that's, that's what one of the reviewers said about their first album. He was just like, I, you're gonna have you're gonna have trouble finding anybody who'll say anything bad about the sound yeah. of you two. Not inoffensive. That's the wrong word for it. But it's just demonstrably good. Yeah. Nobody's going to say this is bad. Right. You know? Right. So not a whole big, interesting conversation. But yet I, I was glad to delve into into you two a little bit and learn, learn a little bit about them. And, yeah, and there's more to do. I wish I knew more about Brian Eno. I wish I knew more about Island Records. There's there's more things I, I yeah. sort of touched the surface of in my research that I wouldn't mind learning about. But um, sure. I'm going to learn more about Larry. I think that's my goal. Was, <laughs> yeah. Why, think... why, why didn't you get a nickname for Larry? Yeah. Let's do a whole um, Larry podcast. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, probably the question is who is the more 
forgotten Larry. Is it uh, Jack Tripper's friend from Three's Company? Oh, or that poor Larry. Uh, yeah. Both yeah, that's of a tough one. Second fiddles. There's a lot of second fiddles. <laughs> that's that a tough one. I want to. I I have. I I know that they're in the past. Larry played a brass instrument because that that name goes with. I'm okay. thinking. I'm really thinking trombone. I think Larry plays trombone. Okay. Um, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna find that out. I first. had a brief dalliance with the trombone in fifth grade. Oh, did you? Oh, called yeah, you out with the trombone. I got play. I played enough to get like a indentation on my lip that never went away from the trombone. Really? Wow! My goodness. Yeah. Apparently, it forms some kind of a thing on your brass. Playing a brass instrument gives you some kind of a really? mark on your upper lip that I don't. Well, thank goodness I, I was an orchestra. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. So we toasted this one. What's our next uh, venture going to be? Next thing we're going to do, we are going to also deal with the mythical America, as it turns out. That might have been on my mind at the time I was choosing things, because the next one is a book, and it is On the Road by Jack Kerouac. That's right. We're going we're gonna to do a controversial trip across the wastelands of America one more time. We're going to discover this America. One, this one, I think, is going to be a little more interesting about whether or not it holds up and whether or not we can still revere this thing in 2023. So. so maybe for the next episode, we should both drop acid and just do stream of consciousness for an hour. I think that sounds like a lot of fun yeah, to me. Exactly. I don't know. But, but uh, well. get some ayahuasca. <laughs> there we go. Have, have a whole experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know. Uh, okay. Right, well, well, thank you for joining us, everybody. All five of you. From Dave MacArthur, I am signing off. From Clint Lanier, I am too signing off. And uh, we'll talk to you Peace next out. time. Peace out. Bye. That's it for episode 84 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some simple scotch whiskey and drambouille to make a rusty nail for our discussion of Jack Kerouac's On the Road. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know whether you think America is living up to its mythic potential. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @ractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Mm-hmm.